is Professor Patty calling. The podcast is now in session. Tardiness will be punished. Hey. Welcome to episode 36 of the Mutant Musings podcast. It's the middle of November 2018, so we'll be discussing some new comics and some classic comics. I'm your host, Jonathan, and with me as always is someone who could put the I inside the MLF. Hey, it's Patty. Do you, do you get it? Yeah. The I. Yeah. Inside the MLF. Yes. Right? Yes. Do you know what that stands for? Miffle. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Is that is that your biffle? Yeah. You your 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 biffle's the miffle. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right, alright. Here's your friendly reminder that you can leave us a comment on this episode's webpage on geekade.com or one million to save Wolverine and the X Men on Facebook. Leave us some feedback on iTunes and follow us on Instagram at mutant underscore musings underscore podcast, where we declare our love for the X-Men every single day. Speaking of following, you're about to follow us into Swear Word City, part of the greater metropolitan mother Fucksburg located within Innuendo County. So strap in and strap on because yeah. it's going to because it's going to be a bumpy and humpy ride. I'm I'm learning that I can write sexy things. And I don't know how to feel about we're that. We're all on this journey together as Jonathan discovers his true calling. <laughs> so, so how are you doing, Patty? <laughs> I'm okay. We went to an anime convention yesterday and it was uh, it was a bunch of fun and hopefully we get to go again tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't go today because cause this time I'm I'm the one who's feeling under the weather for multiple reasons, which 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 are not fun. But yeah, hoping to feel better by by tomorrow, so we can we can go again tomorrow, and um, hopefully I won't spend any more money. I spent enough money on a bunch of stuff that I didn't need, but it's it's Doki Doki Literature Club. And I spent a lot of money on eraser mic stuff, which is uh like my favorite ship from My Hero Academia, because mm-hmm. we're basically eraser mic. Mm-hmm. So I bought I bought a book of dicks. With them, not a bag of dicks. Not a bag of dicks. They a come book, in book form now. A book of dicks. Yeah. They're called. They're called the Jinchi. Uh huh. They're. Uh, it just means like small book, and it's written by like uh, you know indie people indie and porn people. And yeah, a lot of a lot of them are like eighteen plus. So uh-huh. of course that's the one that I got. I haven't looked at it yet. Right. I haven't actually looked at any of the ones that I got. I just wanted them. Seriously. Yeah. And then I bought like a bunch of like you just got a bunch of stuff. You got a bunch of porn lying around. Yeah. A bunch of unused porn <laughs> lying around. Yeah. What the fuck? It's not porn if you don't use it, Patty. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, use it or lose so it. The first time, <laughs> the first time that I like was like, uh, I want to go to this booth. And I was with Jonathan. And I was like, "This is awkward." And then, and then we just went yesterday, and Whatever. he's just like, "How much dicks are you getting?" Yeah. Well, no. I mean, it's 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 fine. Listen, people are into what they're into. You know, I'm not some fucking like some tight ass upright moral Christian who's like, "You shall not put anything in the butthole." Like, I mean, some that's sometimes that's just where things have to go. So one of the times we went to the booth, you know, I decided to flip through a couple of things because I wanted oh, to you see. Did? Yeah, I did. I told you about it. I was right behind you. This is how unaware of the rest of the world Patty is when she's looking at porn. So, yeah, yeah I found an X-Men section. It wasn't particularly thick, <laughs> but but it was there. And um, there was one of, like, you know, movie Xavier and movie Magneto together. I didn't take it out to look at it. I just saw the cover, and I was like, sure, that's a thing. So... The- they had one. They had a section. I, I noticed yesterday. I wasn't flipping through anything, but I noticed a section yesterday for Final Fantasy VII <laughs> specifically. 
I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Sephiroth got all up in those clouds. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. Listen. And the the X Men section uh, uh, is unfortunately only Magneto and Xavier, <clears throat> but I do know that there is a Dojinchi of Wolverine and Cyclops, and well, that's sure. the one that I want. Well, sure. I mean, people put that kind of stuff online, you know. But what then I mean? there's so. there's also one that has like three stories or three hookups or whatever, and it's. Wolverine and Cyclops, and then the other one is Wolverine and Dekent, and then the other one Whoa. is Wolverine and Quentin Quire. Well, wait a second. Wolverine yeah. and Dekent? Yeah. Yeah. No, listen. Yeah, it's gross. Listen, I'm sorry. There's a line. I, there is a line, right? And that, that is the line. <laughs> right. That's the line? Or is you Okay. All right. Fine. All right. So, so enough talking about X-Men porn. Even though we are here to talk about the X-Men, and we often do put them in, in sexy situations... Um, but to, to get serious for a little bit and, and, you know, I'm glad we had a a few laughs before we got into it. Uh, Stan Lee passed away last week, um, at the age of, of 95. Uh, it's obviously a really sad thing. I was at work and, um, I'm a tutor. I didn't have a student at the moment and I'm getting some writing done on my computer and, you know, I have the messenger, the Facebook messenger box open on, on my laptop and Patty messaged me. And then, you know, I click over and I see I see her say, you know, wait, Stan Lee died. Is is this like for real or is this fake or something? And I immediately just went to Google and typed it in. And I saw all the results coming in that it just had happened. Like people were posting it like minutes before. And um, it's again, he was 95 years old. Like this shouldn't have been such a surprise. Um, he had had like some health issues cropping up over the past uh, bunch of years that were made public anyway. But still, it's, it's for me, it's one of those things that I was just I was not prepared for. You know, I have, you know, known of this guy since the early 90s when I was a kid and I started reading comic books. And, you know, I'm 34 now. And yeah, he was 95 and you understand that all this time has gone by. The dude was old. But again, it's still not something that I was quite prepared for. It's just one of those things that I didn't really think about. You know, just he just seemed like, you know, almost like this. It's weird to say, like putting him up on a pedestal. But, you know, he was just like such an icon. And it was kind of hard, I guess, to not put him up on a pedestal and just be like, it's Stan Lee. You know, he's going to be OK. He's got some years left in him. But you don't actually think about what happens when those years go by and, you know, he actually passes away, which is a natural thing that people do. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you know, like his stories are going to last forever and his characters are going to last forever. But, you know, he is only human himself. So, I mean, I saw this coming kind of because like over the past few years, you know, there have been certain things coming out about him and i'm like you know he's 95 so i mean it wasn't like shocking to me when i saw it my first thought was like oh it's another one of these hoaxes and i Mm, saw a whole bunch of people posting it so i looked online and i saw that it was true and i was like okay like that's really sad but like at the same time when you get that old like your body starts like falling apart and stuff and i'm sure like at with everything that he's done in his life, like he was living a good life at that age, but yeah. at the same time, your body starts falling apart. On one hand, like, you know, it's really sad, but on the other hand, you know, it was like his time. Yeah, you know what? You make actually a really good point that I, I didn't think of. Um, 
because you know people people age at their own rate you know like we all the years are the like i have the body of an 84 year old man (laughs) no but like so there's this guy that i know this this dude he's like 75 he is in so much worse shape than my 86 year old grandmother is in so everybody's different somebody at 95 like he could he could have been in a lot worse shape you know it, it could have been it could have been so much worse um you know he was still able to record a couple of videos and put them out on the internet like you said he was still able to record a couple of cameos for these movies so it's kind of nice in a way to see him go out that way instead of really under worse circumstances and it certainly could have been and what i was really thinking about though is that his creations are going to live on forever you know and it's not something that i thought about too much before he passed away but it's like you know this dude created literally an entire shared universe of and and populated it with a bunch of characters and allowed so many other people to populate it with even more characters and create other universes based off of this universe and it's absolutely insane like the reach that this one man had to so many people you know i mean until a certain point it was primarily just comic book readers and then you know they started making movies then they kept making movies and they got really popular and tv shows and you know they're fucking doing like a wolverine podcast you know like none of that would be possible if he didn't come up with what he came up with you know primarily in the 1960s you know what i mean but you know so so you know i had some plans for this episode um and i decided to change things up a little bit because first of all i wanted to be able to verbally express like my feelings about this because i haven't too much yet but also i decided that what better way to start off this episode um aside from saying a few words about stanley would be to talk about one of the most important comic books to us and obviously the basis for this entire podcast uh x-men number one um that was published in september of 1963 written by stan lee and drawn by jack kirby and when i initially started doing the uh, our quote-unquote mutant memories or whatever, you know, the idea was to kind of just stumble forward through the years and pick out whatever cool comics I wanted to talk about or that we, the two of us could talk about. But we skipped right over X-Men number one. And I think now is the perfect time to kind of recap it and, and discuss it um, because I maybe I'm looking, through, looking at it through a different lens now that he's passed, but it really the the gravity of the importance of this single issue has really hit me just over this past week. So for those of you who've never read X-Men number one, it does exist. The X-Men did start somewhere. You can probably find a way to read it for less than uh, $15,000. Uh, or you can just listen to us talk about it. Uh, so it opens up with a private school in Westchester, right? Uh, and there's this bald guy sitting in a chair, huh? I wonder if he's going to be important. Uh, and then there's these thought balloons. This is Professor X calling. Class is in session. Tardiness will be punished. So already <laughs> off the bat, Professor X is set up to be a dick. He, yeah, he beats children. And we meet the four boys that he's beating. Um, yeah. And they all introduce themselves. And, it, and it's, it's, it's really cute. But what's funny about this is that like, the earliest X-Men issues is that Beast 
uh, sort of had a beastly personality and a way of moving. He was like some rough guy from like New York City or something. Like he says to to I'm walking here. <laughs> Let go my arm, you blasted walking icicle. You want me to freeze to death? I don't know. That's that's me combined with the thing doing a beast <laughs> impression. I don't know. It wasn't until a couple of issues later that they sort of you could see that they, they- gave him the super annoying writing. <laughs> I loved it. I it hated so it. I hated Beast so much. I uh, I learned the word doft from Beast. Doft. doft. Yeah, it's like to take something Go off. Doft yourself. No, I loved the way that that he talked. I, it was it was over the top, but that's kind of how things were at the time. Only sixties kids remember. <laughs> but he, you know, they needed a smart guy on the team. You know who else was going to be? Obviously, it wasn't going to be Bobby. You know, obviously, it wasn't going to be Scott. It, so okay, so yeah, well, right. I mean, Bobby was like the goofy, slightly younger one. Angel was the pretty boy, and Cyclops was the quiet, moody, stoic emo, guy. He was not moody boy. or emo. Yes, he was. No, he was wonderful. Ugh. And so, like. Before there was even a danger room, there was, like, these just big machines that, like, these elaborate weird contraptions to test them, and they seemed to be, like, very specific. You know, Cyclops had to switch on a training machine for Beast, and Xavier's just sitting in the recliner, like, barking directions at him the whole time, and he's like, you'll receive your grade tomorrow. You have to complete this in three seconds. And it's just, like crazy how tough he is on all of them but still it was a nice way to introduce the characters and show off what they could all do and you know they're all young you know i mean like i said bobby introduced himself as like oh you know just because i'm a couple years younger at like 16 years old you know they're all still like friendly with each other sort of but then xavier announces that there is uh gonna be a new pupil arriving and he introduces her as a most attractive young lady (laughs) He, and <laughs> he introduces her as a generic female character that we have to have on this team. And that's basically how she was written for a long time. So I 100%, I think it was just, it was it was the way that women were written back then. And I mean, if you look back a bunch of episodes, how we kind of tore apart the Dazzler graphic novel. Yeah. And that was written in the 80s. So yeah, it's it's kind of ridiculous. So yeah, so then all the guys run over to the window, and um, one of them is like, wow, she's a real living doll. And Bobby goes, a girl, big deal. And it's like, yeah, Bobby, that's what we call foreshadowing. Uh, but then Xavier says to her, you possess an extra power, Miss Gray. That is why I call my students X-Men, for extra power. And then all the guys act like assholes around her, but... She shows that she's not some damsel in distress. Beast actually is such a fucking douchebag that he just goes and grabs her and kisses her on the cheek. So she lifts him into the air and spins him in the air and then like throws him into a chair. I wish that I could do that. <laughs> just any time that any guys are trying to be creepy at me, just throw them across the fucking room. Who says you can't do out that? The window. You can do that with your personality. Aww. Your personality is so bright and sparkly. Yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, Xavier is like, oh, but there are some mutants who want to rule humanity. Uh-oh. And then we get introduced to Magneto. And it's that classic fucking dope design that is just sort of timeless. So many of his designs since then are just variations of the original because it's fucking perfect. He causes a rocket launch to fail at Cape Citadel. 
Then he causes like machine guns to fire on the soldiers trying to use them. A tank is trying to run over people. Uh, and then it was funny though. He, he does some sky riding and he says, surrender the base or I'll take it by force. And he signs it magneto and it's like dust particles in the air. And it's just, it's, it's hilarious. But this was great. He just casually walks into the base. And as like the soldiers are trying to fight him off, he's just throwing them all over the place. And this kind of, I hadn't thought about this. Is sort of what he did in X-Men Black. He just, like, fucking balls out, walks right up to the base, and is just like, fuck the soldiers. Like, they can't even do anything to him. You know what I mean? Yeah, because they all use metal guns, those dumbasses. <laughs> so, yeah, so Xavier sends the X-Men to go stop him. The first of the evil mutants has appeared. So first, he sends, he sends the team in, in his Rolls Royce, and then in the private jet that Xavier has, and somehow he guides them from the ground. And I'm like, I'm sort of glad that they gave up on that idea, because that didn't seem like a great idea for him to be able to pilot planes from the ground. But all right, anyway. So, But it was really neat to kind of see the team work together now at this point, right? Because we got we got that awesome sort of introduction to each character and what that character could do like earlier in the issue. Uh, and, like, now you see them working together as a team. You know, like, some of the missiles that Magneto fires are, like, following Angel. Angel guides him, guides him over to Hank. Hank grabs it. Gene takes it and, like, throws it into the ocean. Bobby ices a couple up. And then when Magneto directly attacks them, he sends, like, some flaming fucking tanker of gasoline at them. Cyclops shoots the ground and, like, covers the team so they don't get hurt by the blast. And then he shoots Magneto with an optic blast, and Magneto runs away. And the X-Men save the day, and there's a, your base is operational again, General. Magneto is gone, and the General says, uncanny! And that's hilarious. It was just such a great setup issue, though, you know what I mean? Like, you know, the writing was, was kind of hokey and cheesy, and, and that's exactly how it was back then. And the art, it was old Jack Kirby art. Sometimes there were no real backgrounds. Sometimes there were beautifully detailed backgrounds. But, like, you could see the heart in his character designs. I thought it was neat that they all had, like, matching uniforms. Um, I'm glad that that eventually branched out, but I'm glad that they've since sort of brought back that idea. You know what I mean? It's so classic, and it's so important, and I don't feel like this issue has been, I don't know, in my own mind. This is just me. I've given it enough credit um you know until now now that stan lee has passed i think you know this set up everything that the two of us are sitting here doing right now and obviously since my childhood uh mutants have been a huge part of my life yeah i mean i'm glad that he created these characters obviously i don't think that these early issues have did the test of time no. at all no all the all the early issues you know uh up until um, up until the relaunch, really. Yeah, no, up until it got canceled. You know, there were there were some great moments in there, but yeah, a lot of it was very hokey, and a lot of it was very it was very dense. A lot of stuff was sort of like spelled out for you on the page. Again, that was just the style at Chris, the time. But even until the eighties, through the eighties, the Chris Claremont. Was, oh, he continued that tradition. Yes, he, he picked yes. up the torch. He picked up the torch that the sixties lit and just ran with it. Yeah, yeah, right through nineteen ninety one when they when he decided to go. He was he was just <laughs> running like uh like the Olympic Olympic torch from from nineteen sixty three until like nineteen ninety one. Yeah, yeah, he for, was running for thirty years, but. <laughs> But still, there were some great moments in there. When you when you stop and think about what 
what you know Stan and Jack were able to set up. You had you had first of all you had this issue, and then the next issue we got the Vanisher. Uh, okay, so like not a huge name, but I think the Vanisher is awesome. And then you got the Blob. And then Magneto's back, but now he's got a team, which makes sense. You know, and so we're introduced to Toad, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, and Mastermind, and how many stories were created out of just those characters. And then, you know, the Stanley's final issue introduced Mimic, who I fucking love. And then, you know, this allowed other writers to do occasionally cool things, you know, like the stories with Sunfire and Sauron, I thought were awesome. So again, you know, there aren't always... There weren't, especially back then, there weren't the greatest X-Men stories in the 60s. And even through today, there's still a lot of crappy X-Men stories. But there were so many awesome ideas tossed out back then that were good at the time. And even if they weren't the best, they they allowed others to take those ideas and create amazing things out of it. You know what I mean? And we all pretty much, we have Stan Lee to thank for that. Yeah. Like you and I wouldn't be sitting here right now doing this. Mega Man. Mega Man. Fine. <laughs> we'll have the Mega Man Musings podcast. Right, yeah. <laughs> it still works. Yeah, it still it still does work. So yeah, it's it's I'm I'm glad we were kinda able to sit here and verbalize some of this. Um I'm particularly happy because like I said, I hadn't talked about it at length. Um it hit me it hit me really hard. I was fighting back tears at work and um, you know, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be weird. It's going to be weird not having Stan Lee in the world now. But again, the amazing thing is that his creations are going to live on forever. Speaking of which, we are going to talk about a couple of new comics. And the first one of those is X-Men Red number 10. Which, a couple of people I have seen um, complain about this issue. And I have my own thoughts, and, and we'll get there. But that that whole rant, that preview rant that we got of Jean Grey, like, fuck you, humanity, blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, no shit. That is literally the opposite of Jean Grey. Like, Jean Grey wants to kiss humanity. So I knew it. I knew it immediately that she was either mind-controlled or that it was somebody, you know, like Cassandra Nova doing this. And, of course. But anyway, so there's a South Korean military aircraft, and this guy on board gets possessed. And the plane starts heading for Genosha, and a bunch of planes start heading there. And so Cassandra Nova is bringing all these people there as, like, her defense. All the passengers are her hostages. So, you know, what what are the X-Men going to do? Namor is like, listen, we'll give you Atlantis. We're on your side. You know, Gambit, Nightcrawler, they're all standing around, like, what the fuck are we going to do? And then, of course, hero of the day, Gabby. Love Gabby. Stops and says, what would stop you, Gene? You know, if you were crazy evil, what would stop you? That's never happened to Gene before. What? What? <laughs> no? No. No. We're going to pretend. We're still going to pretend in Patty World. Gene Grey has done nothing wrong. We're still going to pretend in Patty World yeah. that that whole planet of celery people, they were just they were just fine. You know? They they went down the road to the farm. That's what happened. He was hungry. They went to they went to they went to Mom she and Pop's farm down the road. He was hungry. Uh-huh. And right. for only... The end justifies the genes. <laughs> but that wasn't even her. That was Phoenix. Uh-huh. She right. was in a cocoon. Mm-hmm. Under the sea. Uh-huh. She's a little mermaid now? Well, I mean, she is a redhead. Don't try to distract so. me with the little mermaid. <laughs> that was my first crush. That was literally my first crush ever was Ariel, uh, the little mermaid. She redhead. Okay. 
Why does that upset you? Why does he? I'm jealous. You're looking at your fucking. You're looking at your cartoon dicks, <laughs> which you haven't even looked at yet. <laughs> but I'm not allowed to be like, oh, that cartoon is attractive right. over there. All right, whatever. <laughs> you whatever. All you right. whatever. You whatever. So anyway, so Jean says that she needs to make a call, and then a week goes by. So sure, all the hostages are okay. They're just hanging out there for a week, you know, just just bullshitting on fucking Genosha and uh, holiday in Genosha. Yeah, that holiday. was the shirt that choir had. <laughs> That's true. But uh, so on the news, they're reporting that the video of Gene uh, is a fake, and they're like, "Oh, but mutant and human relations have been further strained." So duh, okay. Gene got help from Tony Stark, and and okay. So we don't know exactly how he helped yet, but we know that he helped because Tony Stark's a good guy. Tony Stark's never done anything wrong. Right. Sure. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, making He's all those weapons. He's got facial hair. You can trust him. <laughs> so when the X-Men do show up, Cassandra Nova is like, oh, we're streaming this to the world. Everybody can see this. You know, this is stupid. Like, you know, you've, you've backed yourself into a corner now. The X-Men are coming for you. So Whatever. So Cassandra Nova made all of these soldiers and all the people that are hostages think that they were diverted to Genosha to be saved from Jean and that she that Jean would kill them. So the soldiers start opening fire on the X-Men and Jean telekinetically stops the bullets. Nesno punches a missile and then boom, Jean's got a Magneto helmet, but then everybody gets a Magneto helmet. You get a Magneto helmet. You get a Magneto helmet. <laughs> Literally. Everybody gets a Magneto helmet. Literally everybody gets a Magneto helmet. Even the fucking fish people get a Magneto helmet. And then the Avengers show up. And, you know. They, they get Magneto helmet. Right. They get Magneto helmets. It was so cute seeing Thor with a Magneto helmet. I loved it. You know, they're like, I'm glad your, your cameras are rolling. Because now everyone is going to see we're not the enemy. And we're not alone. And that's perfect. I love this issue. I love this so much. This was such a stupid plan. The fucking, just the Magneto helmets. So, it's such a stupid and basic plan. But it was so effective. Everyone loves Gene. So of course everyone wants to help. The fucking shirtless fish man with his fishnet fucking stockings wants to help Gene. Yeah, Team and, Gene. And the Avengers want to help Gene. But I'm just, why did they have to call on the Avengers? Like, I don't... See, they could have, they, Gene could have taken everybody. And, and see, that's, that's the complaint that I've seen from a couple of people. Like, why, why Fuck was the she, Avengers, they why, have enough books. <laughs> why was she, why was she asking the Avengers for help? And so this is, this was a very carefully crafted plan by Gene. Because if, if human and mutant relations are that bad, right? If this whole time Cassandra Nova has been fucking with the humans' heads to make them think that hu- that mutants are so awful, then what better team to get to show that mutant-human relations are great than with a team that humans love? And humans love the Avengers. Look at how much money those movies have made. Humans clearly love the Avengers. This was more of a PR move than anything Rogue else. Rogue was an Avenger. Right, Rogue wasn't it. She was an uncanny Avenger, though. So there's a little caveat. There's a little asterisk, uh, and you gotta look at the footnote at but, the bottom of the page. Oh, okay. So so Quicksilver is okay, and they love Quicksilver because he's, he's not, not a mutant he's anymore. He's not a mutant. He's Shut not a mutant. Up. This is fucking stupid. No, but listen, I, I get... I, I get the complaint here, what I'm saying is, again, this was more of, like, a tactical PR move. Like, 
Everybody is watching. The whole world is watching, right? Gene, you and the X-Men, we humans have thought you were awful up until this point. But now not only are we going to pull back the curtain and reveal to you that it was really this bald bitch that was doing everything this whole time, but look at us X-Men. We're good with the Avengers. We're even good with the ocean. The ocean people love us. That's what I'm saying. Even that little crab, the little Sebastian crab. Yeah, he's Jamaican. And the flounder. Yeah. Yeah, they all love Gene. I love Gene. <laughs> right. I don't know. So I really like the issue. You know, this is how it was going to be the whole time. Cassandra Nova has just been, like, scrambling to make people hate mutants. And obviously it's Gene Grey. Gene Grey is going to make sure that everybody loves mutants. And again, Cassandra Nova backed herself into a corner. Uh, that one fucking island, even bringing all those hostages, she's screwed now. Especially with mutants... Atlantis and the Avengers all after her. So what? We got like one issue left. So of course she's going to be fucking destroyed. Next issue. You think she's going to die? Uh, maybe, but I'm sure she'll be back mm-hmm. because that happens. Yeah. And I mean, if there's anybody who matter. if if there's anybody who can relate to to dying and then coming back at a later date, it's uh it's uh it's Jean Grey. Am I yeah. right? Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, she's always back. Am I right? Right. All right. So the other new book that we're going to be talking about is Uncanny X-Men number one. Wow. Which we have all been waiting for. And hopefully this lasts more than a year. At least that's what I'm hoping for. Maybe uh, maybe 12 issues. They, they are so enthralled with the number 12. <laughs> well, we're getting one of these a week for at 12. least a while. For 12. Did we're, you know that? We're getting 12 a week. <laughs> no, we're getting one a week for 12 weeks. Okay, and then what? I don't know. And then it's They're going to start again. <laughs> Uncanny X-Men volume, volume 17. Volume. <laughs> yeah, we've been so excited for this. I'm, I, oh, my God. I and just, then it was so confusing. No, it was. And it gave us so many questions. So first, Jamie is there. And it's like, wait, he's, he's normal? He's normal again? We just saw fucking beach bum Jamie. And then Laura stabbed him through the head. And that was nuts. That really fucked me up for a second. This is like first page. It's crazy. But of course, you know, it's like got to be a dream or something. I don't know. And they're all like, where is Kitty Pride?" And there's so many of them. And, and I don't know. I figure either it's a dream or a premonition or something like that. You know, but then we, you know, snap back into to fucking what's really going on. Jean wakes up. She goes, she goes to the kitchen. Where is Kitty Pride? Well, Kitty took the students on this mission. And uh, Rock Slide is like, this is who we're fighting forearm his power is that he has four arms what's he gonna do high five us to death yo i love rock slide i love him me so too. much it could be worse than four arms you know what i mean it could be like four skins <laughs> yeah nobody likes four skins just huh. cut that shit off <laughs> what do you have to prove with your extra pp skin <laughs> what the fuck you think you're better than me <laughs> holy jesus listen that's how some people measure their worth you know what i mean (laughs) it's like worth your weight in gold it's worth (sighs) worth your golden foreskin (laughs) uh anyway i was happy to see that that you know we're we're seeing some of the students especially pixie you know but then of course immediately you know they lose power to the ship kitty goes fucking missing and pixie hits her fucking head where did that helmet go? You know that the writers did that on purpose. They were all like, yeah, yeah, listen, we're going to throw Pixie in there. 
and, and, and you remember that stupid helmet that she wore? We're going to hit her head because she doesn't wear the fucking helmet anymore. <sighs> it's going to teach kids bicycle safety and airplane safety. Because when you go fucking no, driving in an just... airplane, you wear a helmet. You wear your airplane helmet. So the theme of the theme of this episode is always wear your, wear your helmets, whether biking or whether in the bed. You know what I mean? Yeah, put it on your foreskin. Put on that foreskin. All right. And then this is a weird little interlude, is that there's a lake in the Kalahari Desert, and it's raining, and then there's fish. And Storm and Beast don't like rain, they don't like lakes. They don't like fish. And they don't like fish. And they which... don't like fish being in lakes. So that that was a weird little interlude. And I'm sure that's setting up yet another thing. But um, There are so many setups. There were. There, there were. We'll, we'll get to that. But I was super fucking pumped to see the Mutant Liberation Front. Not just them, but some of the characters. So, so you know, there's Wildside, Dragoness, Strobe. Obviously, we knew Forum was going to be there. And so, okay, so this apparently this is Samurai, and it's not Kamikaze. But I did see on Instagram uh, that picture, and Mahmoud Asrar said that it was Kamikaze. But I am lazy, so I didn't check the context. So maybe <sighs> it was in response to someone's question, and I didn't read that right that like they were thinking of somebody else and he was like oh you, you might be thinking of kamikaze i i don't know but that was a big question when the preview panels were were revealed and i saw this a few days ago as of this recording was that he said kamikaze and then of course we got the actual issue and it said samurai anyway they were attacking a pharmaceutical lab because the lab was developing a vaccine to wipe out mutants and you know now that shadow cat is out of the picture it's just the students fighting on their own and that's fine, but, like, some of, like, like Dragon S is, like, you you guys, you realize what you're doing? Like, they're trying to wipe us out. You should be helping us. And it sort of makes sense. And so here we start getting, like, this is the premonition that Gene had. Where did Kitty go? Uh, but in the meantime, fucking Rockslide is fighting Forearm. And it's like, if you had six arms, would you be six-pack? Where does it end? And Forearm, forearm goes, you're on the wrong side of history here, kid thing. And Rockslide is like, whoa, Quad Arms has snaps of his own. Like, I want them to be, I want them to be, like, the best frenemies. You know what I mean? I yeah. want them, I want them to be m- Miffle Biffles. You know? <sighs> Rockslide and Forearm need to be Miffle Biffles. But it kind of sucked to see that, you know, the kids were kind of getting their asses beat. Until Kurt shows up with Polaris and X-23, and then, boom, it's over in seconds because Laura just stabs everybody. Where's Kitty? <laughs> yeah. Where Where is the adult supervision on this field trip? It's you. What? It's you, Patty. It's you, the reader. <laughs> Choose your own adventure. But then, you know, then we meet the, the, the latest bigot who claims that they're not a bigot, Ashton Allen, who says that there is a, a vaccine. Because, you know, mutants are like an abomination, but it's not their fault. They're also our brothers and sisters. But, you know, we need to stop this from happening. And then this is where Jamie shows up. Fucking asshole. Like, Kitty was supposed to make a speech. She's obviously not there. So, of course... Oh, this is in a different location also. This is New York or something, right? Yeah, but, like, Jean is ready to go make this speech now. She's She's been making a lot of speeches lately. I cannot believe that nobody immediately stopped multiple man from getting up to the microphone you have a bunch of x-men there just kind of watching there's psylocke and there's angel and psylocke says something about jubilee sneaking in tomatoes that she was going to throw at this guy and the pr nightmare that that was so you know jubilee's there cannonballs there even north star showed up you know all that was awesome not one of them fucking smacks jamie out of the way 
You know, but in the meantime, you know, they cut back to the kids who were injured in the fight. Anal was injured, uh, Oya was injured, and the kids are actually questioning if they were on the right side of that fight. And so I feel like that is setting up yet another thing. But then, like, all of the Madrox dupes start, like, settling into, like, the crowd, and one of them tackles, like, the senator. Angel flies away. Betsy's got her... She's got a fucking sword and shield now, which looks awesome. But it's like, what the fuck? All of a sudden, the senator and, like, Madrox, they all teleport out and it's like what the fuck does jamie know how did he know it what's what's going on and then of course more bad news for gene why did you x-men attack the debate but then suddenly we cut to another scene where there's shadow cat the senator uh ashton allen and apocalypse so madrox was trying to help yeah and and they were all like in handcuffs and stuff and like who the fuck would be able to kidnap apocalypse like yeah that's crazy, and yeah, like, all of the Jamies were yelling, no, no, we have to, like, stop him from disappearing, or whatever. Like, he, he knew what was going on. I guess that maybe he probably still has one of his time displacer bracelet things that he stole from Bishop. Oh, stop. Patty. Maybe. I don't know. Patty. You know the X-Men love their time travel. Oh. So... That, like, preview that we saw on, like, the first page with all the Jamies, just like, where's Kitty? Where's Kitty? So he knew somehow that this was going to happen, so I'm assuming that it was, like, that he was in the future or something. I am tired of time-traveling multiple man. <sighs> like, like, listen, and it's no hate towards multiple man. So anyone else can time-travel, but not him? Right. Okay. <laughs> That's racist. What the f- Yes, I'm racist against multiples. If you've wow. got multiples of yourself, wow. yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's a pretty strong position you got there. Uh-huh. All right. That's multiple positions that I got right oh there. Oh, my God. I got so many positions. I got the best positions. Whole position. What? <laughs> what the? F- I, wait a second. Wait. I don't know. I don't I don't think I want to know what that means. All it's right. a, it's a racing thing, I think. It was a video game. It sounds like a racist thing, Patty. One of those racist things that oh you're God. into. Are you saying that you're that you're into you you race what you, are you racist? Talking about? <laughs> oh, now I get it. No, I I had never had a problem with Multiple Man before until until the way he was written in that 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 miniseries that we just got. I'm tired, so tired of time traveling. Multiple Man can maybe Bishop can go after him next. Maybe maybe we can put uh we can put a red wig. On a multiple man and uh, shorten him down a few feet and be like, look at that little redheaded girl. We know you hate little redheaded girls. Go chase her into the future. <sighs> and he can go fucking kill multiple man. I, I don't know. But I'm, t- I'm tired of it. But then we got, you know, a couple of backup stories, which, which, was, which was neat. Uh, I wasn't, I didn't really know what to expect here. You know, there were, there were three. It was so confusing. So there were three epilogues, right? And then they all tied in together. I really thought that that was neat because I did not know what to expect here. The one with Bishop was was interesting. I'm sorry, not a, was not a fan of the art of it, but it was interesting. He was checking into Dark Beast and Sugar Man. So, time-traveling anomalies, you know? So, uh, somebody must be going after them. And I'm thinking, like, could that, be, could that be Kid Cable trying to set things right? Dark Beast gets away, but Sugar Man gets killed. So, I was thinking that with, you know, I mean... Maybe this is, like, way too obvious. But with Dark Beast and Sugar Man being here and Apocalypse is kidnapped, that, like, they're 
the big event they're they're trying to set up is like another AOA. Well, yeah. So we're getting you know Age of X Man. Yeah. Which so Apocalypse he's gonna be a part of that. He's gonna be like it, like featured on like a team in one of those books, which is gonna be interesting. We we'll, we might talk more about it next episode when we talk about all the solicits and whatever other news. But yeah, it looks like Age of X Man is gonna be the same sort of scope that Age of Apocalypse was. You're getting all these characters and all these books that are taking place all in this different universe, which is exactly how AOA was. So you you might be right, but what what is be, the biggest question is what is behind all of this? Because you know we've been saying this setup so much, and it's, and it's so conf- I hate you, I hate <sighs> you so much. Get out of my house. We're yeah. not going to mention that name in this house. Not after what he did to those kids on that island, which you haven't even read. You need to read it. They were such good kids, and they didn't deserve what they got. And Metal was a good boy. And Metal exploded in the first fucking issue. Don't roll your eyes. I didn't roll my eyes. I saw you look up. I saw you look. You upped your eyes. If you didn't (laughs) roll them, don't up your eyes at me. You down your eyes. You down your (laughs) eyes in remembrance of Metal. (laughs) And we will not speak the A name in this house again. No anus. Don't. What? What? We may refer to him as Anus. I have I have changed <laughs> my declaration. We will refer to him as Anus from now on. So anyway, but so that that's the thing. And we get the the story with Gene and that was, you know, interesting and then, you know, Anol and Armor are in the sewers and again, it's more the kids are just pissed that they're sent to do the dirty work. Uh and again, I don't blame them. So the poop a, work. Yeah, the <laughs> the Anus work. Yes. Right? So, but this is another thing. Like, who's controlling all of the people? Who, and, and, and somebody says someone is controlling them, all the civilians, and giving them power. Someone. So it's one person. And then, like, the final panels, it's some, like, hooded, it's not, not even hooded. It's just a shadowy figure around the corner that looked like had brown hair, looked like a, a dude, and then just, like, walked away. I'm like, Jamie. A, a shapeshifter? Is it Nate Gray? Is it Mastermind? Jamie. Oh, Oh my god. I hate multiple man. I take it back. Fuck that guy. You're probably right. It's gonna be multiple man. It's that one the fucking beach bum Jamie that yeah. took the thing and making all the dupes. Yeah. Right? Right. Thanks, Patty. <laughs> Just waving his dick around. What the f <laughs> No, I don't know. I, I have no idea what's happening. I was reading it and I was like, I'm really confused. And then my friend Pratik messaged me, and I was like, okay, were you also confused? Because I was confused. And he was like, yes, I was confused. And I was like, okay, good. Well, so that's that's the thing about this, you know? It's like... A setup to a setup to a setup. Yeah, it does seem like a setup a few times removed. It was kind of like extermination in the beginning. You know, all these things were kind of like up in the air. And we sort of started to make our own conclusions, which were partially there, but not really... And then a few issues in, you're like, okay, this makes a lot more sense now. But this just felt like it set up a lot. And how is all of this going to be connected? Maybe it won't. This is literally going into X-Men Disassembled is what it's called, you know? I don't know. I liked all of this. But at the same time, because there was so much going on, it barely felt like a setup. So like you said, a setup to a setup to a setup. The stories were all kind of interesting, though, you know? I mean, it's not like I looked at it and I was like, oh, this is just fucking stupid. When is this? this was such a garbage book. No, it, it was interesting, and I loved seeing the Mutant Liberation Front. I thought it was particularly interesting that somebody managed to trap Apocalypse. 
Because he was, like, strapped up to that fucking X table, you know what I mean? The only person that I can think of who is strong enough and powerful enough to do that is Jamie. I... <laughs> no, I have no idea what's going on. Uh, I'm not creative. I don't think a lot. I don't <laughs> use my brain. So I'm just going to wait until the next issue's out not, and find out. Did you happens. not like this first issue, though? No, I, I did. It was just really confusing. I didn't know what was happening. So, like, I don't know if there is anything to like or dislike but we we will see <laughs> fine would you high five a man with four arms or maybe give him the old low five down under his six pack don't ever forget your helmets folks while we take a quick commercial break not looking forward to the family drama around the table this thanksgiving this year i'm not giving thanks i'm giving thanks Tell your family to shut up with their fake news and impress them with your geeky knowledge. Geekade.com has articles, podcasts, and videos for all different geekdoms. This Thanksgiving, I want some of your sweet, sweet potatoes. (laughs) Geekade.com covers geeky topics from video games to comic books, television to music, and much, much more. Bend over and take your stuffing, you bad little turkey. (laughs) Show everyone you're a well-rounded geek by checking out Geekade.com. Tired of all the talk around the table about saving education and healthcare? If people are too stupid to be healthy, how is that my problem? Why not talk about saving Wolverine and the X-Men instead? Ooh, remember that time Wolverine sliced off a piece of turkey for himself? Turkeys are stupid too, the fuck does Gobble even mean? One Million to Save Wolverine and the X-Men is a Facebook page with links to nifty news, awesome artwork, and magnificent merchandise for sale. So One Million to Save Wolverine and the X-Men has great gift ideas. If trees are stupid enough to get chopped down, they deserve it. Why is everything so stupid? Stop by One Million to Save Wolverine and the X-Men on Facebook today. So for this month's Mutant Memories, um, we are going to give some thanks and maybe some spanks. So I threw this question uh, out on Instagram and got nearly no replies, which is fine because because my Halloween question was a lot easier to answer, I think, than this one. This was a lot more specific. And obviously, I did my own research beforehand, and there weren't too many uh, mutant-related Thanksgiving stories. But we're going to talk about a couple of those, and then I've got a couple of other that we're going to talk about, too. Uh, so the first one that we're going to talk about is Power Pack number 19. Uh, written by Louis Simonson, who we love. Did you say Louis? Louis, mm-hmm. Louis, Louis Simon, mm-hmm. Carly Simon. Oh written by Carly Rae Jepsen. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't know. That's probably as far as I can take that. Uh, yeah, written by Louis Simonson. And it was published in February of 1986. And I want to thank Carlos on Instagram for this one because I have read. A whole bunch of power pack issues, uh, but I wouldn't, I, I did not even, I probably never even read this. Um, I never read the whole original series, uh, but I really want to thank Carlos for pointing this out to us because this was a good Thanksgiving issue. Uh, there's an opening scene between Erg and Katie, and it's like, why the fuck is Erg attacking her? And like, but no, they're just playing a game. They're having fun. So there's this bitch <laughs> named Annalie, and she lives in the sewers because she's trash. Damn, way to insult all Morlocks. An entire race of people. Listen, I'm not, I'm just talking about this one bitch. You are racing to that racism. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm talking about this one bitch. Yeah. 
Anna Lee, no relations to Sarah Lee or <laughs> Stan. Oh man! So uh, she 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 lives in the sewer, and she's just uh she's just uh an old old lady with curlers in her hair. She never takes her curlers out. I uh-huh. don't. I don't know. She's definitely this, not a teenager. No, she's she's an old she lady. She's a mutant. She has might not be a ninja. Uh, <laughs> she has fucked with the power pack before because she lost her children, and then she tried kidnapping power pack and changing everybody's memories so they forgot that they had kids and whatever. Yeah. So anyway, it's creepy. This, this is Annalie. Uh, she's a bitch, but uh, for some reason, Katie invited her and Leech to come to Thanksgiving party. So they they say yes. And also Wolverine, Shadowcat, Franklin, Richard, Betteray, Bill are going to go. But first she's going to go. Uh, Katie is going to see the parade. So um, I didn't read the issues surrounding this. But, I mean, you can get the gist that uh, their mom is sick in the hospital. So the dad is going to leave the kids by themselves mm-hmm. on Thanksgiving. Perfect. Yeah, and not take them to the hospital. Right. He's going to go to the hospital himself. Alex, the... Uh, Cyclops, if you will, of Don't the family. You effing dare! It's with like, that man, you're shit. nothing to be thankful for. That is horse shit. You're better a bill shit. What the? Because he's a horse. He, you will address him as Thorse, my lady. Okay. 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 So no, no, Alex Power. Was an absolute little dipshit here. He's like, there's nothing to be thankful for. That is such a Cyclops thing to say. That 100% I will find a panel of Cyclops saying exactly verbatim the same words. It was mainly because because mom was sick. He still had a roof over his head. He still had family. There was still food. Fucking Julie, who is even younger than him, was cooking a fucking turkey. Like... You know, this kid was just being a complete dipshit and just goes and, like, runs away from home. That's not something... That is... Wait a minute. Never mind. Yeah. Stop talking about Cyclops. Stop talking about the truth. (laughs) So... You're like one of those truth commercials that just just makes the kids hate the truth and want to go do the bad things more. Yeah. That's what you're doing, Patty. You're causing children to smoke. Why are you causing children to smoke cigarettes, Patty? Okay, so this debate is going to go on for a few hours. So let's just uh, fast forward past it. Can we turn around for a second? And can we talk about how cute uh, Leech is, first of all? And then second of all, talk about how much of a bitch Anna Lee was. Oh, right, right. So she she was like the fucking Dursleys treated Harry and locked him in a (laughs) cellar under the stairs. So it's it's uh like she she was like oh no they're my special friends and you can't come yeah. so and like Leech was like wanted her to treat him like he was her kid or something yeah. which is exactly what she wanted that was supposed to be the setup there and she's just like no you're gross and everybody's gonna hate you and they're gonna make fun of me because you're green and I don't want you there you ruin everything and she just like throws him in a fucking cupboard and locks it. And, and the little kitten was like scratching at it. Like he was just yeah, happy with the he little had kitten a pet too. kitten. He was so cute. But like, so like some time goes by, and then um, the Morlock ape, you know, sees this little kitten scratching at the crate, and is like, "Oh, is there a mouse in there? Okay, I'll open it." So he opens it, and then Leech runs out. 
And he still wants to be with Annalie. And I'm like, uh, you poor baby. I felt so fucking bad for him in this issue, seriously. And then this is where, you know, things start, like, you know, getting really messed up. Katie's whole deal is, like, she wants to go see the parade, but she also wants to make sure that Mom in the hospital sees the Mighty Mouse balloon. Who remembers Mighty Mouse? Only 90s kids. Not 90s kids. Only 90s Only kids. Only 80s kids. Only 90s kids. Only 80s kids remember Mighty Mouse because when I was in the 80s <laughs> and my mother had an apartment in Lodi, she also Don't had- Don't give out your town. Th- none of us living here are in Lodi, all right? She had a Laserdisc player. Who remembers Laserdisc? Only 80s kids, and my mom had some Mighty Mouse laser disc. So the reason that Katie is so intent on seeing this parade and seeing Mighty Mouse and having her mom see Mighty Mouse is that her mom told her that, like, if she sees the parade, then, like, all of her problems are going to seem so small. So she, like, basically tricked Franklin, who was watching the parade with her, and, like, cut the wires so they could fly the Mighty Mouse balloon to her mom's hospital window. Man. And her 80s, mom is unconscious. 80s kids, am I right? With yeah. their silly pranks. Their antics. <laughs> and, like, it almost ended up crashing into the hospital. And well, I mean, we didn't have much to do in the 80s. True. We ha- if you didn't have a laser disc player, you basically had nothing. You know what I mean? So we had to make our own fun, including hijacking balloons. From the fucking Macy's fucking Thanksgiving parade. Yeah. I defy you to find an 80s kid alive that didn't try to hijack a fucking Thanksgiving Day balloon. I, I'm going to try. Okay, good luck. So, in the, <laughs> in the meantime, uh, some of the other guests arrive. Cloak and Dagger show up on the top of the Dakota building, which I didn't know before, but Jonathan has notes here that that is where John Lennon lived for his final years. Yes, it is. And then, so so things really started getting fucked up when Leech starts to catch up to Anna Lee, right? Because she's still, she she doesn't want him around. So she starts, like, fucking with the crowd. And that's when all, like, the balloons start going, like, all over the place, crashing into each other. And it's literally putting people's lives in danger because she she wants them to, like, stop Leech. She has, like, these people controlling the Kermit balloon go after him. And he's fucking scared of Kermit, which was cute and sad at the same time. But um, he's green too. Yeah, I know. I, I didn't. I didn't understand. And uh, you know, finally, like everybody realizes, the source of the panic is from Anna Lee. So they all talk to her. She's convinced she acted like a jerk, and she gives Lee a kiss on the forehead, and all is forgiven. And so everybody meets back at the apartment, and Katie gives this speech that when you're miserable and alone, it's better to be miserable and alone t- together. And so she invited all the alone people she knew for Thanksgiving dinner. And that is actually really cute. That is it's all really cute because every single character that was featured in this issue, and there were a bunch of them, you know, were all kind of alone. And it was really nice. They didn't show the actual dinner. They didn't show any of that. But that's okay. Everybody left kind of happy. And in fact, Jack Power gave Leech some of his old clothes. And Leech looked so fucking happy. I just... Uh, like, obviously, Leech was not created or typically drawn to look like a cute little dude, but he looked so adorable. He's always cute. And I couldn't help but feel so bad for him during during this whole issue <clears throat> when Annalie was mistreating him. But Dad does come home from the hospital after everyone has left, and the kids save some food for him. So this ended up being kind of sweet, 
but I'm sorry. Like it was, it was a fun issue. It was, a, it was a good issue. I'm glad the way that it ended. But I hate Annalie. Every time, every fucking yeah. time, she would try to kidnap the kids, and it's like, oh no, I learned my lesson. And it's all a little while later. I'm trying to kidnap kids again. You know, just whatever. Just she's, make your own children. She's dead, so it doesn't matter. She was killed not long after this. So, so sorry, folks. But anyway, you know that was that was a great Thanksgiving issue. So again, uh, thanks to Carlos for that one. Next one we're going to be talking about is one that I, I, you know, this is like the big X Men Thanksgiving issue, uh, Uncanny X Men number three hundred eight. This uh, was Scott Lubdell and John Romita Jr. Uh, from published date was January of ninety four. And thanks to Euphoria BJC on Instagram for this one, they suggested this one, and I was like. This is this is one that we have to go with because it's like the quintessential X Men Thanksgiving. This story has everything. It's got it's got football. Uh huh. It's got uh love love interests. Uh huh. And it's got being being thankful for Thanksgiving. It's got leaves. It's it's got leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got flashbacks. It's got marriage proposals. Mm-hmm. It's got um, clown face. So something that. I didn't realize until, like, I don't know, was it, like, two years ago that I was watching through Friends or last year or something? I don't no, know. No, it was a couple of years ago. So they had Thanksgiving episode where they played football. So I was like, oh, yeah, uh, football. Football is a, is a Thanksgiving thing because of Friends. I forgot if it was my mom or something was like, no, football is, like, a Thanksgiving thing because they play football on Thanksgiving. Yeah. So, so that was not a thing that I knew. They should they should get off for Thanksgiving. That's rude. So so this issue was was really cute. I, I really liked the vast majority of it, except for John Romita Jr.'s art. He was absolutely awful at this point. It's like he had pretty much given up and was just like made a bet with somebody and was like, let's see how bad I can draw and Marvel will still pay me, kind of thing. His earlier work and his work throughout most of the eighties was decent, you know? I mean, it wasn't amazing. He you know, did some, there were, there were some particularly great panels and drawings that he did, but overall he was an okay artist, like, like, cool. And then you look at this and it's like everyone had a clown face, especially Gene. And that's really sad. Yeah, because, she looked like shit. Because this was like, you know, uh, besides Thanksgiving and the football and whatever, this was really a story about her and Scott but mainly her. So you see her a lot, and you see that clown face a lot. And and it was just fucking, fucking awful. But aside from that, the story overall was, was cute. You know, Gene is like, the moment I realized you were the one. Every girl is assigned one guy with a capital O, Scott. And somehow, that made it past the editors. Because I am certain that at this point, Scott had given her plenty of capital O's. Uh, so, and, and this this one flashback scene, though, is like, Young Gene is like, what's your real name, Slim? And he's like, Scott. And he's like, lost in her eyes, and then he like, falls. And he like, yelled, like, get clear! And Scott's like, did I really yell that? And Gene's like, yeah, you really yelled that when you started to fall. And, and that's, it's just adorable seeing the two of them like, flashback like this. But in the meantime... Like, all the fun fall stuff is happening. You know, Jubilee is riding on Beast's back as he's jumping around. Like, he dives into a pile of leaves, and Banshee and Forge and Storm have all been raking, and Storm is, like, pissed, and everybody is just 
having fun. And then they start playing football. And that's really cute because there's all these shots of Forge when the play starts and somebody yells foul. That was hardly a foul. Jubilee, you're on our team. And then the ball gets fumbled and Xavier catches it. But everybody is running at him too fast. And as much as I hate the art, the look on Xavier's face in this one panel when he realizes he's about to get trampled is fucking wonderful. He literally looks like one punch man. Um, But it cuts away to Scott's face. And Scott is just like, ouch. And I don't know. It was just really funny. But Scott is about to go help him when Gene says, marry me. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. Ah. Comedic timing. Yeah. So she's all like, I was afraid of what our life would be like, the future if we were together, but now I'm afraid of what my life would be like without you. And on. And so we get inside the Thanksgiving dinner, and the table is packed, and Xavier is like, instead of dwelling on the opportunities we have missed, we're encouraged to be grateful for all that is good in our lives, and ourselves. And then Scott is like, Gene and I have something we'd like to add. So Jubilee says, don't tell me, she finally got a code name. So that was, that was cute. It's like, oh, we're getting married, and everybody's happy. Oh, Thanksgiving, giving thanks, same for relationships and for love. And everybody's happy, except for Charles Xavier, who looks miserable, says he has some reservations about that decision. And that's how we end that Thanksgiving. So that's very nice, Chuck. Thanks for the little vote of confidence and that nasty look. He wants Gene for himself after all these years. Yeah, right? We haven't forgotten that panel from, what, like, X-Men number three? Yeah. Um, But... This was, I really, I really enjoyed this issue. I will say about Ramita Jr., as awful as his art was, you know, some of some of the work here was good. You know, like, how he, how he used the panels, the figures in the panels, how the characters, you know, were looking, and just, like, the placement of everything. So, yeah, I mean, this, this was, overall, the story was good, but the, the art was, was pretty awful. But this, again, this is, like, the quintessential fucking x-men thanksgiving issue because it literally is the x-men thanksgiving issue it kind of encapsulates everything about thanksgiving perfectly um and even has a little bit of like a romance story we don't need to tell everyone how that one turned out uh all right so moving on we got a couple more comics to talk about and so it's great to talk about thanksgiving uh for us here in the united states and those of us with european descent but I also think that it is a little unfair to just be one-sided about it because, let's be real, we have our Thanksgiving because of the fucking pilgrims making peace with the Native Americans. Uh-huh. Uh, not quite. There was, uh, there was a lot of bad stuff that Europeans did to the Native Americans, like basically wiping them all out. Now, of course, we're here because of that, but... That does not excuse the treatment uh, to Native Americans by white people. So what I wanted to talk about, Patty actually brought this up, and it's like, well, let's you know talk about Native American characters. And I was like, okay, you know that's that's a great idea. Um, and there are a few, and one that I love in particular is Thunderbird. But Thunderbird has been dead for a long time, except for this one story where he kind of came back. And I had no idea about this crossover event that was going on at the time. I just saw the cover in my local comic shop and I was like, huh, that's interesting. So I bought it and so I loved it. So Chaos War X-Men was uh, a two-issue series that, you know, was part of a larger crossover of which I have read none, but I loved this. This was written by Chris Claremont and Louise Simonson. 
and this was in February and March of 2011. The artist on both of these issues is Doug Braithwaite, who did a fucking amazing yeah, the art was job. Great. Oh my god. And it opens with John Proudstar waking up, climbing out of his grave at the mansion. It's gorgeous. He remembers how he died. He remembers what happened, but he realizes he's not alone, right? Banshee is there. He sees Moira McTaggart. Sophie Cuckoo yells at Esme Cuckoo for killing her. There are a few Madrox dupes. John realizes they're all dead, but they're living somehow. Instead of all introducing themselves... Esme forces everyone to do it telepathically, to just, like, snap of the finger, everybody knows everything, and Sophie yells at her, and they start to fight until John stops them. And it's really funny. Moira McTaggart says, huh, they remind me of Emma Frost. And I thought that was really, really funny. But the two of them do a telepathic scan and realize that everyone on Earth is unconscious. And I just gotta say here again how amazing the art is. Because the sky is constantly, like, dreary. The colors are all darkened. And for the first, for, for the first at least half of this first issue, they cut away to shots of crows flapping overhead. But it, like, starts small. Like, there's one. A couple of pages later, there's a few more. And then a couple of pages later, there's, like, a lot more. And you don't really know what's happening with that yet. It's just, again, it's ominous and it's creepy. But John immediately takes charge and splits them into groups to check surrounding areas. And Esme yells at him, Who made you boss? You and Logan are like twins. Quintessential male boss. Might as well argue with a rock. And I just, I, that's, but that's perfect. That perfectly sun, sums up Thunderbird. And I love how he took charge of this, um, this situation. So Esme starts to read that something is circling them. Probably those crows, but we don't know yet. Uh, Moira finds one of Destiny's diaries, and it's, like, really cryptic, but then all the crows start attacking, and they're, like, literally beating up birds. And it's messed up, but it's also really cool to kind of see Esme and Banshee working together. Like, the fight here. Like, two characters who otherwise would never have been together, or fighting together, you know, I mean, I guess maybe it's silly because they're fighting birds, but but still, it was it was interesting. But then a bunch of like the Madrox dupes start like getting killed, and Moira for whatever it's it's weird. So Moira starts like since she she found Destiny's diary, she starts like turning into into Destiny, and it's weird. And she's like, John, you're seeing this Thunderbird in the sky. It's what brought us here, like call to it and like some light comes down and transports them all away but uh john has esme he like grabs her to like take her and run away with her but the crows grab sophie and it's really gross how they all cover her this trickster god appears and it's the carrion crow so it like took over sophie and she's like turns like this crow demon now this carrion crow is like the villain and it's what's trying to attack them so, like, this story, is it's, like, a little sort of silly, but the art was perfect. It was so cool to see these characters sort of interact with each other, except for Jamie. And, again, it's not because I don't like him. It's because he was sort of grossly overshadowed in this. Everyone yeah. else's personality came through except for him. Yeah, he was just kind of there to duplicate, and he didn't really, you know, like, say anything funny or say anything at all. I don't know, I thought it was interesting to see Esme and Sophie and their conflict before and after, 
Sophie was overtaken by this crow thing. I don't know. This story was, like, a little weird. But the art was great. (laughs) It was really weird. I mean, like, maybe knowing the background and following Chaos War along as it came out would have, like, you know, kind of enriched it a little bit. I still, I still absolutely loved it. Like, this, it could have been about literally fucking anything. Like, I was just so happy with the characters that were used, the way they interacted with each other, and the fights. So it's against some fucking crow, anthrop- anthropomorphic crow or whatever. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's still awesome. And again, yeah, the art was awesome. So in the next issue, uh, and this has one of my favorite covers ever. I've posted this on Instagram before. I've shared this on Facebook before. It's that picture of John with the knife in his mouth crawling out of the grave that says Proud Star behind him. Literally one of my favorite covers ever. So, so all the heroes were teleported to Muir Island by the actual Thunderbird. And Moira slash Destiny explains what's happening, right? The Chaos King wants to return the universe to this empty void that it was before time. And Thunderbird literally says out loud, Lady, this is so out of our league. And it's it's hilarious. But Esme notices all the crows are gathering, and she is actually telepathically communicating with Sophie, and it's like, bitch, you should probably tell somebody that you can talk to her. And the fucking... Um, we don't communicate in the X-Men. But they're literally telepaths and twins and a hive mind. That's, that's not what we do here. <laughs> and I don't know. And then Esme starts turning into a bird. And then the carrion crow actually shows up. And for a silly anthropomorphic crow, he does look awesome. Like, again, you know, the artwork here, regardless of how silly this may sound, was amazing. Esme's trying to fight. It's trying to fight it off. And, like, again, more dupes are being killed by crows. And then fucking... Finally, Thunderbird calls out to his gods and is like, the, My first time as an X-Man, I blew it. I was full of pride and anger and wanted to prove myself. But I forgot that all the elements of life, life work together, and I thank you for this second chance to set things right. And so all this light shines on him. And the Carrion Crow manages to kill, like, everybody, but John merges with the actual Thunderbird and destroys the Carrion Crow and it's the only one who is left aside from Thunderbird is Sophie, who is holding Esme's dead body. And John is like, I know what's coming, but I feel more alive than ever. Um, as if my life finally counts for something. And it was really just kind of like a beautiful end, except for a couple of little creepy things in here. So John and Sophie seem to get along, right? And that makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. There was one panel in the first issue where Sophie even like had a finger on his muscular arms. As she was passing by, affirming something. But when she gets taken away in the first issue, John is like, I'm sorry, Sophie. And she says, yeah, me too. Another world. Another chance at real life. Who knows? Was she talking about the two of them? Because at the very end of this second issue, John says, who knows, Sophie? If there's a next time, maybe you and me. And she says, I'd like that, John. Now, did that mean as a team up or as like a romantic thing? Because that struck me as odd i don't know i mean i guess i missed that thing where she touched him in the first issue but i mean like i just like was like flipping through the pages and i'm just like what the fuck is this and like i don't know if i'm just like exceptionally stupid i couldn't really follow this story i just thought it was so so bad (laughs) that yeah that like i maybe i just didn't pick up on these hints that I just, 
figured like they meant like, oh, maybe next time we won't die. Like, <laughs> and like I ship everyone and everything, but I mean, I don't, I don't know what the age difference is, or if the cuckoos are adults or so, whatever here. That it would be uh, relatively substantial. Well, no, not I. Substantial enough, right? I mean, the cuckoos are supposed to be in their teens, maybe close to adulthood, but Thunderbird, I would assume, is somewhere around the age of 30. He is about a decade older than Warpath. So even when he died, like, it still doesn't quite add up (laughs) right. I feel like if a romance were to come out of anything, like, it should take more than two issues for that to happen. These two characters who have been dead for a little while have never met before. It would work for them to be friends. It would work for them to be leadership types, both um, both uh, Sophie and John. But romantic? It, that just seemed unnecessary. Just Not even just forced, but unnecessary. So that was the only thing that struck me as odd. I really liked everything else about these. Um, even if you weren't crazy about these issues, <laughs> again, I I have no other context about this story because I don't. I've never to this day read another issue that had to do with Chaos War. I didn't care. I cared about Thunderbird. I was like, yes, give me this. And then everything else that followed was just like, all right, this is just adding more to my happiness. Like, thank you for giving me Thunderbird back. So that's what I'm giving thanks for. So yeah, <laughs> there you go. Hope everyone else has a happy Thanksgiving if 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 you celebrate Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving! So that'll do it for this episode of Mutant Musings. Thanks for joining us, and don't forget to leave us a comment on geekade.com and 1 million to save Wolverine and the X-Men on Facebook. Leave us feedback on iTunes and follow us on Instagram at mutant underscore musings underscore podcast. What did you think of the new Uncanny X-Men number one? What's your opinion of John Romita Jr.'s art? Join us next time when we'll be discussing new comics and some news. And say it with us again, everyone. Rest in peace, Stan Lee.